Hey, this is Russell, and I work at the video store. I love this job because when the store is quiet, I get to watch movies and series and talk about them with my friends that work here. Interesting people pop in to rent something all the time. Each week, we can help you figure out what you could be watching on streaming platforms and out in cinemas. All right, let's open up the shop. How's it, Caddy? Hey, Rusky. How are you, my boy? Yeah, feeling good, feeling good. <laughs> Top of the morning. And uh, hello to everyone listening. Welcome to the video store. Today on the show, we have lots to chat about. We want to talk about Barbie and Oppenheimer and how it's this lovely time in, in cinema at the moment. And um, the musician and actor Chris Chameleon is then going to pop in to rent something. I'm excited. Chris is uh, definitely a hero of mine. Yeah, he's one of those people that have, have really made such an impact over the years on, on South African culture, both pushing the boundaries of music. He was in a, a punk band. <laughs> they, they called Monkey Punk. Monkey Punk, yeah. They called it Monkey Punk, where he was wearing dresses and <laughs> playing this crazy punk rock music um, all across the world. He then did a, a bunch of um, his own solo stuff. He, he became very much a sort of Afrikaans singer-songwriter, a bit more serious. Yeah. And, um, and then he does some interesting acting work. Um, we got in touch with him because we got, we, we got put together from um, the people at Showmax because of the film Horizon, which is on Showmax at the moment. And we had the opportunity to meet him. So it was a, it was a chance I, I really wanted to take because I wanted to see where he is in life at the moment because I knew he'd kind of fallen off the the earth, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it had been ages since Boo had released anything or him. He'd been in a couple of movies acting, but no one you didn't know what had happened to him. Yeah, and then we, 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 we're going to find out, which I think is cool. Uh, we, we, we got a sense from um, putting the, the chat together that he's now living out on a farm and that he, he was coming back into Joburg for something. And then that's when we were able to um, get wind that he can come in for a chat. So we're looking forward to that. I think it's safe to say Chris is uh, South Africa's kind of David Bowie. I was thinking about it. Would you agree? A hundred percent, yeah. Bowie. I think on a few levels because he he was known, but the music itself was quite experimental. Quite Kept on changing. Genre changing. Yeah. Um, I think in the way in which Bowie challenged what men should wear or could wear on stage and having characters and personas, I, I think um, Chris is similar in that regard. 100%. I mean, Bowie even did some acting in The Prestige. Yeah, yeah oh, totally. What a role. Um, all right. But we are finding ourselves now at a lovely time in cinema. Because uh, for those who don't know, and I'm not quite sure how you don't know, <laughs> but I'd love to encapsulate it. Um, the last week has been a very exciting moment in cinema, specifically going to the cinema to watch movies, not just cinema in general. Two of the most anticipated films of the year came out on the same day. That being Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, which is a 
we, we're going to talk about it, but it's, it's a, a biopic. It's a biopic um, set in World War II about the physicist who was behind the building of the atom bomb. Quite serious, quite dark. And then the internet and the world found it hilarious that this very bright pink um, fun film about Barbie was going to come out on the same day. And of course, the what is the nice word to sort of describe how they're completely different from each other? Antithesis, yeah. contrast. <laughs> and, and, and that became a thing. And I think it's just so cool that everyone was able to jump on this bandwagon and see these two remarkably different films together and, and constantly bump them together to the point where they created a nice term for it, which was Barbenheimer. Which is a port, portmando, as I was trying to, it's my favorite word, is when you squash two words together. Oh, the term of it? The term when you make, make a new word from two words is a portmando. Oh, lovely. Like yeah, so, benefer or... Yeah. You know, oh, lovely. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so Barbenheimer, apparently before opening weekend even started, they'd pre-sold 200,000 double bill tickets yeah. for Barbenheimer. That's lovely because that became the thing. that It became such a celebration of these films. Some people like to call it a competition, but I don't think that really came through. It, what, it was more about how hilarious is it and are you going to watch both? And the thing was with the order, which to watch that. And yeah, <laughs> but the thing is that they, they are remarkably different movies, but it was just such a cool thing to witness and to be a part of the buildup. And then I found it interesting that as the video store, we are lucky enough to get these um, pre-show screenings that both happened on the same day. Yeah. <laughs> so we were invited as the video store uh, to get to Mall of Africa on IMAX, because we have to watch it on IMAX, um, very early in the morning, last week, Wednesday, to watch Oppenheimer, um, which is a three-hour movie, yeah. <laughs> um, only for myself and Gad, you, Gaddy. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> to come back later that day in our pink clothes to then watch Barbie. And I think that order is right. I think one should watch Oppenheimer first if you were going to do the two. I mean, I, th I think in retrospect, I probably would have done it the other way around. Oh, really? No, I, yeah. need, I need something light at the later end of the day. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do is we are going to chat more about these, these two movies in, in, in a lot more detail after chatting to Chris. Um, but we wanted to just, just get a sense of what's going on in our lives, um, what's happening, um, and, um, and then please stick around for after the chat with Chris Chameleon because we, myself and Gad, are going to go into uh, a lot more detail of these films. But the one thing I'd like to perhaps propose at the start is, the, is, is how these two films are different. And I thought I found a nice analogy, which I'd love to share with you, Gad. Please, let's hear it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So for me, Oppenheimer is, is like a expensive steak that you would buy at a restaurant like Marble. Do you know Marble? Yeah. I can't afford to eat there. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone there once and it was it was a big gulp when I realized how much I was going to have to pay. But Marble specifically has a creative force behind it, which is the, the chef David Higgs. So even though he's not necessarily there at all times, but there there is this kind of creative vision behind the restaurant. And that's quite similar to Oppenheimer. It's shooting for a serious piece of art that is made by someone you know. And I thought that was quite an interesting way of looking at it, where something like Barbie was a reinvention of something every day, like a, like a hamburger or a taco or something. Does that make sense? Sure, yeah. 
like a, like a deconstructed hamburger. A deconstructed, yes, exactly that. Like a new way of looking at something that everybody knows. The meat on the outside. Yeah. The roll on the inside. <laughs> and so I think that was kind of cool to see. So I don't think it's necessarily... Yeah, I, I think they will, they will now live on as two very separate things. I think there was a moment, which was perhaps this weekend, where the two were seen together. And I think there was a small population that did the double bill because they, they saw what was coming and they know what was coming. But I think but ultimately the f- now they're going to live on as two separate things. The fan edit is coming, for sure. The, the what? The fan edit. The fan edit of the two put together. There has to be one. I mean, it'll probably be like a five-minute YouTube video. Sure. No, I've already seen that. I've already seen Oppenheimer walk the beach, the pink beach, and be put into the, the trailer of Barbie. But, oh, but I haven't the, even seen that. No, oh, no. but, uh, <laughs> no, but the, what I, the point I'm trying to make is that those things you yeah. know, were fun in the moment, and there was this yeah, great but, moment in time, and I think it's so awesome. But they're both great enough to stand by themselves. Yes, because Definitely. there was a large portion of that audience in Oppenheimer in that morning who were never going to watch Barbie that week. Definitely, yeah. And when you and I then went to the Barbie premiere that night, we were one of the few <laughs> heterosexual males. Um, <laughs> but uh, ultimately, Barbie is made slightly more for women. Um, I think it's great that everybody should watch. But there was a large portion of people at the Barbie premiere who don't know who Christopher Nolan is. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like they, yeah, know, they, yeah, weren't totally. gonna, they weren't going to do the double bull. They yeah, might, yeah. Maybe they heard this other movie was on at this point in time, but based on the people who were in those cinemas, because they took over two or three cinemas for the Barbie premiere, like it, it, Barbie's Barbie. It's, it's a very much its own thing. Does that make sense? 100%, yeah. All right. Okay, so yeah, let's get into it after the chat. But um, I think we need to get to work now, Gary. Should we do it? Okay. So one last thing. As uh, the video store, we host these video store premiere nights where we we record these episodes inside the Bioscope um, here at 44 Stanley. And I myself am also the owner of the Bioscope here at 44 Stanley. So we want to have movie nights as the video store where the video store is going to present the films that we think you should see. And it's a nice little umbrella signature event that we create at the Bioscope that is that is fueled and endorsed by the video store. So we are going to do another one of those at this coming Friday in the week that this episode comes out. We are going to screen Hot Fuzz. Oh, what a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we are going to do it as a quote along. So we're going to give you a sheet of, of memorable quotes that you can um, see coming. And the most important thing is that when we get together for this quote along, we want you to make as much noise as possible. It's it, it's all about participation. Um, so tickets are at thebioscope.co.za. Look for the Hot Fuzz quote along, and uh, we hope to see you there. A bunch of tickets have already sold, so I'm sure we're going to be nice and full. Um, so get those get those tickets before they run out. Yeah, I'm. He's, I'm super excited. That's the, the trilogy. It's Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and World's End. And World's End, yeah. The oh. Cornetto trilogy. We've spoken about that in last week's episode as to why it was called the Cornetto trilogy. He's amazing. Uh, yeah, Edgar Wright is the filmmaker. So it's just a lot of fun. It's a great play on the American action comedy, you know, like bad boys, but set in a little... British town. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay, let's get into it. This is Chris Chameleon popping in to rent something. 
Like, you remember Bob Studios? You guys might be a bit young for that. Paputatwana. Yeah. yeah. Richard went there recently. My friend was there and he sent me pictures. Yeah. I mean, they built it in the 80s for 7 million rand, which is an inconceivably huge... I mean, in, the, in 1988, you could buy a house in Linden for 120,000 rand. Yeah, so 7 million is a lot. In Linden. And they built Bob Studios for 7 million. And now you can replace Bob Studios for under 200,000 rand. Hectic. Well, okay, you need the, the cavity as well. Let's assume you've got the cavity. Yeah. And then you must kit it out, but still for under half a million. Yeah. You can totally replace. Now, this is very simple and easy, and it's got one job. <laughs> yeah. Literally just XLRs in, headphones out, record. That's brilliant. How's it? My life is good. Yeah. Yeah, very good actually. You 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 have just come into Joburg from where you are based. Yep. Which I'd love to hear more about. It's actually a it's a weird story because um, my wife tells me her dreams every morning. Okay. And um, you know I listen to that, but most of the time I don't remember my own dreams, and when I do, I, I don't really talk about it. Does she have dreams almost every night that she can remember? She has dreams almost every night, yeah. And then okay. she remembers vivid details. Yeah. She's very uh, she's very particular about it. So it's yeah. sort of a morning ritual. Okay. Listening to the dreams. And the one morning she woke up and she told me what her dream was and I was like, "Hey, I dreamt that two nights ago." This was in February 2019. Yeah. And it was very compelling. So compelling that in 2 weeks I sold my house in Joburg. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever sold a house, but doing so in yeah. two weeks is it's not easy. It's almost impossible, yeah, yeah. My girlfriend's in real estate, so I know it's impossible. <laughs> she would have loved that one. It would have gone quickly. And um, sold the house in two weeks, cancelled all the gigs because you know how it goes when you book gigs for the year. You've got your regulars, yeah. and then you fill it in as you go along. So yeah. by February, you, I used to do like 140 gigs a year, yeah. and then by February... Um, about 70 of them would have been booked between 60 and 70. Yeah. Cancelled them all, bar four, because those are hard to get out of. Yeah. And uh, packed up and moved to my farm. Lovely. And so retired. this is early 2019. This is early 2019. So COVID wasn't even a thing yet. Well, you see, because that's what the dream was about. And came 2020. Wait, the dream predicted some kind of... Something like that. Hectic. That's it. I mean, <laughs> That's you, awesome. you've got to imagine because I'd been doing this job since 1989. I started working as a professional in 1989. I'm 52 now. That's all I've ever known. Yeah. Well, not really all. I mean, I, I had a lot of different jobs. Before we came in, I told you I worked yeah. as an usher in the Moscow Circus, <laughs> which sounds very um interesting yeah. uh, until i mentioned that was when they were in south africa okay i was about to say w where were you in the parking lot of Cresta center okay but it was the moscow circus they okay. traveled around the world yeah yeah that's what they did and and i think they used uh, boswell wilkie circus or brian's circus uh, their yeah. animals because you can't bring an elephant from Mos moscow i think it's a bit complicated so they probably had some sort of collab thing going oh, okay. and um and i was a security guard in a stationery shop in randburg in cresta and i was an easter bunny yeah and um <laughs> a, a, and a parking attendant so yeah. i had a lot of different jobs yeah. there was an easter bunny in your movie there was there's an easter bunny in the movie that's right yeah that's right i remember well i never what well, I, I wasn't in that scene but yeah, i read yeah. it in the script yeah. yeah i mean pretty terrifying and you were in that movie so it was 
That's, that's saying something. So it was even extra terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and um, yeah, so I held all these different jobs. But basically music, the, the music dream, that was the early years when you had to combine it with a lot of other things. And yeah, then sure. eventually you get a bit of a breakthrough and then it's like, okay, I can finally be a full-time musician. Yeah. Which, um, but it's all I've known. And then to quit that, it was very compelling to do yeah. that. And came the whole COVID spiel. I was like, what a what a blessing, you know. We did absolutely the right thing because I still yeah. wouldn't have recovered by now. You so you see yourself as retired? Oh yes, absolutely. That's interesting. No, nineteen March twenty nineteen, I retired. Now you know how it is with the when you're retired. Sometimes you get called out for consultancy. Yeah. And that's what I'm here in Joburg for because I'm I did my first gig again last year September because a friend roped me and yeah. he was like, come on, come on, come on. I was like, okay. And I went and I did, and I was like, hey, it's not too bad. It's it's kind of how I remember it to be. Yeah. With one major difference is um, I'd forgotten how, what it's like to be nervous. So you found yourself nervous again? Whoa. I was petrified. It was really, it was like my first performance. It was yeah. very intense. And then I thought, okay, once a month is the most I'll give myself because I, I enjoy watching my cattle and being a 24-hour dad now, I started yeah. a family at 50. And um, so so started, that's what I want to do. I don't, don't want to go away. This morning was a hell of a spiel. Yeah. Just getting away from home. It's like broken hearts. Yeah. Um, but once a month is okay. Yeah. And that's what I'm here for. Um, you Okay, so there's two things I wanted to chat about that are happening now. The one is the fact that despite being retired <laughs> – you um, are in this film, Horizon, which yeah. is on Showmax. And that's what's connected us, the guys at Showmax. Um, let me know about the film. And, and I was like, I would, I would love to meet you. And so that's what kind of spurred this, this on. Um, so, so you acted in this film, right. um, which we'll talk about. And then, but there's a boo show that's happening in and around now. Tomorrow. It's tomorrow. It's the, yeah, it's the Capital that's the Craft c- Festival in Pretoria. And, and that's with you? Like, you're going to do that? That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Boo doesn't exist without you. Yeah. That, that could yeah. be interesting yeah, to see. I, I would yeah, yeah, no, no, see no, no. someone try no, no, that. I just want to make sure in case it's like a different version. Sometimes these bands live on with or without people. It's but it's, four versions but it's, yeah, of yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, so well, so you, what gets you out? Like, what, like, the question being, what was compelling about Capital Craft or what was compelling about Horizon that, that took you out of retirement? When I, what got me out, as I mentioned earlier, was a friend um, that I'd been friends with for many years and he had something special going on, not a private function, and he asked me. So I went out and, uh, you know, I let him convince me. And then I decided it, it's not too bad. It's mm. not too bad. And you, you spend 30 years building a legacy I don't want to. I don't want to say. You know, I still have something to give. No, I don't want to say that. You know, but but I think there there is still something in me, and um, I come from a belief system where you don't just chuck it away because yeah. I'm actually it's lacquer to be able to do this. There's, there's yeah. not many people in the world who can do what I do. You know. Yeah. And or, if people are still or like asking, there, you know, make sweets. It's like. <laughs> It's it's your thing. You get into it, and the, the the longer you do it, the harder it is to to beat that. Yeah. You know? But there's a lovely quote by I think Keith Richards where it's like people ask me why I do this. It's like because I want to. 
Yeah, it's <laughs> it's like I'm still playing guitar because I love it and I want to. I don't have to. I'm like doing it for the love of it. I thought that was also such a nice sort of but, reframing. But the Keith of it. Richards thing is, if he wanted it enough, he could play five nights a week mm. and always be sold out. Yeah, he's Keith Richards. Sure. Um, so where do you draw that line is, is yeah. really the thing. That's what I've had to decide. That's why I put a cap on it. It's like no matter what happens is once a month. Well, like it's, it's, I think it's the same with acting as well. I was just chatting with my buddy and there's this, the Flash series. I think it's seven or eight seasons. And the guy who's been playing the Flash. Is like it like Flash Gordon? Or? The Flash, like the, 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 Flash. the superhero. They've just released the a movie, DC. but this is a, a TV series, a yeah. DC comic. Ah, okay. And he's just like... I've, I'm done. I, w- I need to spend time with my family. And yeah, it's just like, you think, he's like, why would he do that? He's like on top of the world. He's in one of the biggest shows. And it's just like, I, I, I can relate. I mean, you're shooting in a different country and it's yeah. fame. And choosing it's, choosing that, that, that different quality of life. Mm. Well, um, I mean, Russell, do you have children? No. It's a game changer. Yeah. And I was always vehemently against it. I viewed marriage as a very primitive institution. Yeah. I would never go so low yeah and having children is just acting on that impulse of life that that that, that thing that unites you with worms and crickets <laughs> and whatever yeah, higher yeah. beings you know yeah and then it happens yeah and then you're like oh why? okay 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 i get, I get it. it i get it um now now where you are um we've located we we were talking a little earlier it's just outside of harry smith and the closest town to you is fatkakers Fatkakerskop. it's the nearest human settlement i think it has a permanent um there'll be less than 20 permanent residents yeah in, in the so, whole of Fatkakerskop, yeah and um and, and you were involved in that at That's some right. point yeah um we as a band as short straw had like a seminal time at Fat Cakers Corp. How so? Did you play there over New Year? We did. Right. And But what we did specifically is we were at the tail end of writing an album. And so the plan was if we could find a place where we could make as much noise till whatever time of the night, we could set, set up a band room in the house, like rent this house in the middle of nowhere, and um, finish writing this album. Okay. And someone, I think it was the original drummer, knew of Fair Cakers and you in the show. No, it was me. Uh, you I knew it. Through Beth. Okay, Beth Hillary. Beth. Yeah, Beth was yeah. the one who ran the restaurant. Yeah, so we could get this one show around New Year's. But only, so that wasn't even, a, a, we weren't even talking about that show. We were just staying there. And I think throughout hearing us, they were like, okay, these guys might not be terrible. So, so we, play, we played not in the main hall, yeah. just on the outside. The entrance as so everyone was coming it in. Was, it was fun. But we were kind of nobodies in a sense because the album that we then finished at Fair Cakers became like a seminal album for us. Oh, wow. It was the album that produced like all the sort of top songs of Short Straw. Oh, wow. Well, there and, you go. And um, the music video of one of those songs, it's one of the songs that make up like 20% of our income, a song called Bikini Weather. A lot of the footage of that video, it was made up out of tours and traveling and fun stuff. A lot of it is at the Cakers Corp. Oh, wow. And so I've always linked it with you. I'm going to go check it out, obviously. Yeah, I've always linked this. it with you. And we this must have been like 2018, 2017. It's, or, it's well, 10 no, years of the even, album this year. Oh, wow. 2013. Yeah, so it was in the December. Right. 
Your New Holidays. Year's 2012-2013, it would have been that. Yeah, you know, I, was, I had a major shift in, um, in 2005. Because having been in English rock and punk bands, suddenly um, I was reborn as a Afrikaans kunstenaar. Yeah, because you had the, your solo career. That's right. And that's, was that all in Afrikaans? Yes, I made three English solo albums in that yeah. time and two Boo albums in yeah. that time. But the thing about Boo is, you know, in, from from the 31st of October 1997 to the 31st of October 2004, Boo did 800 gigs in 17 countries. We okay. spent some some years. We'd spent more time abroad than in South Africa. Yeah, and we had a cult following, yeah. a cult status in places like Croatia, Slovenia, Italy, the Netherlands. But for the uninitiated, I can say cult means a really great profile, really poor bank balance. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you you reinvest everything to continue this insane life because it it is a bit addictive. It is a really totally. a whack we, lifestyle. We've, we've We've kind of lived it to some degree. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. And then, and then in 2005, it changed. Everything changed for me, which was what? What? What was the shift? Well, um, the first phase of Boo uh, was as a three-piece with Umpi Omo and Princess Leone with me in the band. Okay. And we started running into difficulty in 2004, and on the 19th of September, 2004. We were in Slovenia, in Ljubljana. We played a gig there. Mm. And I met a wonderful redhead, so things were not too well at the time. And that was a Sunday night. This gig was on a Sunday night. And then we only had to be in Italy on the Thursday. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go with her, and I'll meet you at this place on Thursday, and then we can cross the border together. And then came back the Thursday, and as we crossed the border back in Western Europe, suddenly, this is 2004, you know, it's quite a while ago. Mm. Suddenly the... Um, my phone just went crazy. It's just like everyone asking, what's going on? I was like, hey, what's up, guys? What, what's going on? And so they sent a press release of, I think it was four sentences with eight spelling and grammar errors in it. Yeah. Basically resigning from Boo, but we'll finish our tour, which would end on the 31st of October, which incidentally was also the date of our first gig ever as Boo. Wait, so the other members of the band put out a press Resigned, release? Resigned, yeah. Okay. Well, they didn't tell you, they just put out a press release. They didn't tell me. Look, we were fighting like crazy before that. Okay. It was not... You, you, and I you don't know if you know what it's like having conflict in a band, but it's, sure, like, sure. it's like being in a marriage and having going through a rough patch. Yeah, I've, say, I've yeah. said that, that your bandmates are, are somewhere between... Um, a sibling and a colleague, so it's like you've yeah. got to you've got to have this kind of work life figured out. Um, they're not necessarily your friends; they're closer than friends. They're siblings in a sense, mm. but mm. You, but it's more like a work. So it's it's the marriage of of sort of sort of a sibling love. You're bound by something, mm. but also this effectively, if the band is doing stuff and successful, it's like you've got to work as colleagues. I mean, you don't you've have got, to like each other. You've got but to put helps. certain things at the door yeah. in order to make it work. It's also, and it was also a bit like a marriage because there are children that come from it in the form of songs. You yeah. create yeah. new things into existence. The, the band from the outset, for me, it was always quite eccentric. Like you would wear fun, like weird stuff, right? Yeah. Like yeah it was well, sometimes I went like as a girl the first, I was about to say, like there was a, yeah. a cross-dressing element to it. it was, yeah. Yeah, what was that for you? What was the fun? Was there something more serious behind it? What was the what was that? Well, for you? you know, 
I had an aunt, like I used to have major issues about my physique um, as a child because I was puny. And I had a, an aunt in the Cape who called me Stronstockies because my legs, she said, nee, there's not two Stronstockies where you live there, which is a laugh. I love her. She's a really, uh, she was a wonderful person. And uh, so it was always a source of embarrassment for me. And then just before we founded Boo, the... Um, I went on a trip through South Africa, Namibia, Botswana with a Dutch guy. And at some stage, we were just like, you know, keeping your clothes clean and sleeping in the bucky and going to all these weird places and roughing it. So I started wearing a sarong, kind of just like a, a cloth. And I was like, I'm quite comfortable with this. And you get used to it. Mm. And then the night of our first gig, I was like, well, I'm going to go for that because we didn't have a guitarist. So I was like, because we'd been looking for a guitarist right up till a few days before the gig. Because you can't have a band without a guitarist. Yeah. And um, what were you playing? Bass. You were bass. Yeah, yeah, I was always on, on bass. Yeah. And so, I, um, so I guess I started it just because I felt comfortable in it. I'd been doing it for for quite a while. Yeah. You know, traveling through these countries and then um, and just to throw more of a spiel because yeah. I felt we needed a guitarist. Did you have proper bass lessons? Because I've never seen another bass player play bass like you. Like, if I had bass lessons, I probably would have played in a more recognizable fashion. But you're right. Now, I've never had bass lessons, and that's why I just, can't take responsibility you're, you're, for what I'm you're doing substituting there. for the guitarist almost with the yeah. doing chords, and it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, It was such an interesting <laughs> so, sound. It's, it's, yeah, thanks. It's so great. And of course, like, and also you being that performer just added such a great element to it. So that, was, so that became a big part of the show. My, my, you know, my parents are huge fans. We, I, I don't know if you remember, 20 years ago, I brought them with two Roxy at Melville. Okay. And my brother came with, and he must have been 14. Because my parents were there, they let him in. And we came backstage and we met you. And my mother's like, make sure you ask Chris if he remembers that 14 You know what's amazing about Roxy, if I can just tell you a little story, is um, when, when I was 19 days old, my mom, who was a Capetonian, had just come to Joburg with my father and they they settled in a cottage on someone's plot in um, uh, Walkerville in the south of Joburg and then uh, he disappeared he became a missing person and then suddenly there was this Capetonian both her parents had already died I never knew grandma grandpa vibes very small family and she checked Joburg and she was like okay now where and she asked the people okay so I'm in a bit of a situation where do I go and the people said you have to go to the Melville Hotel the people there will be understanding so she went to the Melville Hotel who disappeared? my father and then my mother went with my sister who was two years old at the time and I was 19 days old so she went to the Melville Hotel and then she said "Um, I've got a bit of a situation I'll pay you at the end of the month this is August 1971 yeah and they said, okay, that's fine. And she said, you know where there's a creche, you know, sort of a daycare center? They said, yeah, just down the road there, there, there. She's like, okay. She went there. She said, I've got a bit of a situation. Can I leave my children here? I'm going to go find a job in the city now. I'll pay you at the end of the month. So, they, sorry, dad just disappeared? Yes. They Hector. found him when I was in standard six. So they found him, what is it, 13 years later, 13, 14 years later. Alive? Yes. And he died two weeks later without me meeting him. Wow. So he just abandoned you guys. He was like, I, I can't handle this. Or... I think there's more to the story. Okay. It's more to the story, but that's, it, but that's pretty much the understanding okay. that I grew up with. Okay. All right. So your mom raised you. And she took you to the crash. And and so and then we stayed there and then she she went walked into town and then got a job at the third firm that she tried. She's a very attractive woman, so I guess it makes some things easier. Mm. And then um 
and then she got a flat. And I mean, there's one street close to here where I lived in five addresses in one street because every time in a flat we moved, you know, from a bachelor to a two bedroom to a three bedroom. Eventually, his mom started making something of herself. Yeah, it's lovely. And then um, my first paid gig with Blue Chameleon, which was the band I had before Boo, yeah, was in the Roxy Rhythm Bar, and Herbert. And Lynn, the owners of Roxy all the years, they bought the Malva Hotel, converted it into a venue. And the backstage was that little hotel room, literally just room for a bed, yeah. one bed and a little cupboard thing. And there's actually a little wash, wash basin in it as well. And then there were communal bathrooms. Yeah. Now, they've since built it around a lot. They've changed it. None of that remains. Yeah. But those first few years until about 1995-ish, I, I think, It still had the old innards of the building. Yeah. And there I sat with my first paid gig in the flat where I was nine, at age 19 days. So it was your actual wow. flat was, was the backstage? It was the actual, <laughs> the, the actual flat. Well, that became the backstage. And I checked with my mom because I sat there and I always heard the stories. And I was like, okay, I get it. This was the Malville Hotel. Yeah. I didn't even know there was a Malville Hotel. I spoke to Herbert. And he was like, yeah, it used to be the Malville Hotel. And this is how it happened. That's lovely. What a nice, what a nice sort of... Yeah, it's just a full circle. You know? Yeah, sure. Some of my first shows were at Roxy's. I think they changed the... Did they change venues or was it always where it kind of is now? No, it was always, but they, but they built it around a lot. They changed, they broke it out and, yeah. and expanded. It was like another club, Raskesi or Raskes. But I don't think any of that stuff's still going now. It seems know. very largely sort of boarded up dead, now. Yeah, I don't think I played there. Dead, yeah. I don't think I played at Roxy. I, maybe, I played maybe there with the first few bands. With the bang. I don't um, think there, were, there ever was a club with worse sound. Yeah. <laughs> It, it was completely not conducive. <laughs> Wait, as you say that, I'm like, I did play there. I did play there. It's all coming back to you now. Um, that's amazing, man. And um, so so there's going to be a show tomorrow. There's going to be a boo show tomorrow. That's right. Which is exciting. Um, but then myself and Gad have watched the film, which is on Showmax. What do you want to How's your Afrikaans? I just made it. I had to do subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly had to do subtitles. Um, and it's, it's like, you guys talk really quick. And sure. it's like to read because I was watching on my phone, so I was really immersed in the movie. Okay. Yeah. Um, what got you out of the farm for that? Well, that counts as my gig for yeah. December. We okay. filmed it in December, so okay. I was like, okay, that's my gig. And um, I don't know because exactly a year before, um, now I told you that my first gig was in September last year, and that is true, except a year before that, the November. I got a call from a director-producer who was making a Netflix movie. He wanted me to play a role of a psychopath. Mm. And I thought it was really weird. I didn't have to do an audition or anything. And he was like, no, you're definitely the guy. I was told that you're the guy and <laughs> I believe that. So I went out and I did that movie. And I sometimes wondered if someone hadn't seen that and then said, okay. Was that in English? He, he's the resident, Yes. He's the resident psychopath. Let's yeah. get him. You know what was that film? Where was what, it? What was the what was the name of the f um, film? Wild is the wind. Wild is the wind. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yes, I've heard of this. It hasn't come out yet, has it? No, it has. It has. It has. Yeah. It was yes. released last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Toberish. Okay, I must watch it now that I know that you're in it. And then so so almost a day, you know, a, to the day a year later, I get this call um, that yeah, there's this movie, and it's it's again like just take the role <laughs> which is great because there's nothing nothing worse than an audition sure it's the most horrible thing to be subjected to sure no it's not easy and auditions you know the problem with auditions is 
the people in it want the job and they don't have the job. But if you have the job, there's a different confidence that comes from it. And your whole, the way you play it is very different. Mm. That's why I have so much respect for good casting directors. I think the... No, there, there certainly is a, a, a gift to yeah, that. It's, it's a very, it's an underrated thing. Mm. It's like mastering in music. It's totally underrated. People, and it's hard to explain to people who are not in the industry how important that function is yeah we still as a band sometimes still question <laughs> mastering because yeah. someone you know charges you so much and someone else does that and you're like did we just make it louder what did we do <laughs> it's quite hard to figure it out but i i do know there's a place for it yeah. I, I do know it's doing something well if you gotta squash that waveform russell <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's, it's interesting. Uh, it sort of livens it it sort of it decorates it it sort of fills the room it, uh, living living the experience that enables you to write a song is like growing the tree and then writing the song is like because you don't just write a song you craft it so it's yeah. like chopping down the tree and getting the the sticks and stones from it you know yeah. the, 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 the planks and then you and then recording the song is assembling all those planks into um, a, a furniture piece. And mastering is the varnish. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, yeah. you can see if there's not varnish on it, but you can also see if it's the wrong varnish because it has to complement the wood or the purpose. You know, Maybe you want to make pine look like Oregon pine because it has to fit into an Oregon pine setting or whatever. That's a good way to and put that's it, where yeah. But yeah, it's, okay. it's we digress. But we you, digress, and then but, the, the but, but it's and your role. What what I thought made it so amazing is your character was absolutely terrifying. But he wasn't. He didn't commit any violence. Like it was all just verbal abuse and manipulation. I hadn't even thought about that. Like compared to that other guy, that Hannibal Lecter esque yeah. guy, who <laughs> he was also cool, but yeah. and super violent. But you just like you didn't actually physically hurt anyone. Yeah, some, I of the, was some, of the, some of the most famous psychopaths have, have done that, have commanded people and have sort of built these these cults followings. And I suppose the finger thing maybe. That's, but you did, yeah, he did <laughs> chop off someone's finger. Okay, <laughs> yes, quick, yes. quick back of the box. Um, the film is about this woman who is a clinical psychologist. She then, I don't want to give too much away, but it's about your character um, is a is a sort of a doctor who's built this kind of resort that people can go to and you've built this following and this clinical psychologist tries to sort of infiltrate it but there's a history between you as as this kind of leader of this cult mm. so to speak and her and um horizon is horizon Afrikaans for horizon and that's the name of the the, the place the institution the, the place, institution yeah. And of course, then the, the drama the and the thrill healing. comes out. Yeah. So it's got a, yeah, it was kind of billed to me, which makes sense as a, almost like a midsummer. Um, have you seen the film Midsummer? Midsummer. 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 Yeah. Awesome. I really live under a rock. Uh, okay, interesting. Uh, it's, a, it's a good cult kind of, cult in Sweden horror um, movie to watch. It was a sort of a horror okay. film that came out a few years ago made by a director called Ari Aster, who, um, Makes creepy, weird movies. Okay, you oaks are like movie oaks. That's, the, that's the thing. Yeah. So it, yeah. I, it, I find it interesting that you've done. I, I know Lars von Trier is. Is yeah, it a bit like that? It's got that. It's got that weirdness to it. Okay. Where it's not necessarily always about the sort of shock horror. It's about the weird. Like, where are we? And 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 Midsummer. She goes up to the scan in, into Scandinavia with a boyfriend. For like and a ceremony that happens like for the once every 17 years ceremony. or something. No, when the, when the sun doesn't set, it yeah. just goes lower so and comes up. So it's this bright, again. colorful place, clean and beautiful, oh, and then just terrifying. crazy weird things oh. happen. 
um, okay, and I'm, this community of now. people. I want to go check it out. It's very interesting. And the fact that you haven't seen it is, very, is even more interesting because Definitely she parallels, wears this kind yeah. of flower crown at one point, which characters in uh, Horizon wear. Okay. So there's, there is a link to it. In a way. Maybe maybe the to? writer or the director had perhaps, seen it. Perhaps, perhaps. Um, but, but these things also just happen. Yeah, totally. No, no. Sometimes, I guess. Um, it's it's a great homage. Like it wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's. Uh, if anything, it's nasty. just a little nod to it. And also, like Yellow Jackets is a series um, with girls that a plane lands in the mountains and they have to survive for two years, and you see it flashes forward to modern times, and one of them has also started a cult, and it's. Plays in very very similar. Do they also eat each other like the Argentinian? They do. It's team? based on that story. Okay, it's it's insane. Yeah, Yellow Jackets has also got a creepy. Weird Would you eat someone it. if you had to? I mean, if I had to, if I had to. If they passed away, you know, and they're yeah. and you're in the mountains, they you have to eat them quickly before they start to rot. Well, they they'll last because they're frozen. Oh, yeah, of course. It's, it's yeah. more like jerky, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I think I think anything can happen. Eh? It's just crazy how they they happened the first time. How the, it just cooked perfectly. I don't yeah, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's just all this fate and weirdness and mysticism like pushes these girls who are losing their minds to to the, these crazy things. It's an interesting show. So so <laughs> out in your farm, you you don't consume it, eh? You don't you don't. Yeah, watch. look, I mean, we're not we're totally off the grid. So and pretty much out of reach we have to make an effort to be in reach and we very much live off the land that's amazing yeah and i, I mean i quit tv already in 2015 Just quit watching it yeah I, I used to be i used to be a um sorry I'm, that's difficult for me to understand <laughs> <laughs> quit watching it yeah but i still use it you know yeah. um in uh I was a rugby addict. A serious, I had a serious problem with rugby. I, I spent 14 hours a week on rugby, watching the four main games over the weekend, and then analyzing for three hours apiece the two best ones. And and I just realized at some point because I went through all the the punk and the rock places, you know, uh, in, in my career, tasting all the forbidden fruits. Yeah. I never said no to anything. Yeah, I was about to say with, with all that wild. Yeah. eccentricity that we saw on stage was there as much off stage oh yes no it was it, it came with a full package but I've been blessed with a what appears to be a completely non-addictive personality so I can really venture it, it would appear I can venture anywhere without yeah. suffering the consequences of addiction or need or whatever and um, so you would try eat someone but then you wouldn't be addicted <laughs> I <laughs> wouldn't would, <laughs> What eat someone? Yeah, would just he's just I would eat someone, but I, I wouldn't have to do it every day. You wouldn't have yeah. to worry about being addicted. Like, exactly. exactly. But you were addicted to watching rugby. Yes, and then one day I realized, but I am addicted because I'm showing all the classical signs I absolutely needed. I started arranging my life around it. You know, with the World Cup in 2007, that night I was playing in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam. Yeah. And I walked on stage an hour and a half late. Because, because you wanted to watch I the I wanted rugby. to watch the game. Interesting. Which and and they're a very precise society that did not go very well. But I was like, nah. If Holland was playing England in yeah. the in soccer in the England. in the soccer World Cup final, you know, would you have been mad? Okay, no, right, you understand, but that's not acceptable anyway. So but it's interesting that that sort of in a more cultural musical world, you still 
loved sports. Well, I back- mean, not that not that they, that they can't go hand in hand, but I just think I mean, Alistair likes sports. No, sure. I'm, so I'm no, saying I'm I, not saying, but I I wouldn't have I just I wouldn't darts. have put That's like a, 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 a punk rocker wearing a dress as being like a hardcore South African rugby fan. Yeah, you know you can get. It's just interesting. It's you part can of what get makes the boor out of the blast, but you can't get the blast out of the boor. You know, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm just the Afrikaans boyki, and that's just. Yeah. But then I realized I had to quit, and okay. I had to go totally cold turkey. So I was going to quit TV in general, and and when I was working, I really, I mean, there were years I did 186 gigs a year. Yeah. And you just, you actually have no time discovering other art or anything there's just not the time for it especially if your free time is consumed by rugby yeah and now that we live out in the sticks it's just you know it's me and the game and the cattle and the garden and And, and how would you how would you be rehearsing and preparing for a show like tomorrow good question i'm going to rehearse today only once but we know it very well we've played many gigs together yeah. And it's you rehearse to click, yeah. So that you're more or less on the same page. You know how it goes when you go live, the click goes yeah. out the window, and you hope that you're. We play to we play to click in the same speed. The strange thing is, throughout all the boo years, the one, the one pretty consistent thing was, and and again, we, uh, I mean, the debauchery and the sex, drugs, rock and roll was uh, a daily reality of it. But I was always a sober performer. Okay. Yeah, and not because I'm a virtuous person, but because I cannot yeah. not be sober. I yeah. just I can't. Maybe I forget what I'm doing, but I can also not link to the people. There's something about being up there and linking with the people. You're basically seducing them, and you need to build a personal rapport with anything from a thousand to ten thousand, or you know, some of those festivals we played in Europe, sixty thousand people. But you have to. You have to be. Um, alert and awake and open present and lucid yeah so that's important and if if it happens that one of your colleagues have altered their vibration yeah because the thing about drugs is that it it alters your vibration in a way that you can't control you're not totally in charge of that Mm. and that can be problematic yeah. So so right now, like when we play tomorrow, we're gonna we're gonna rehearse after this. We're gonna rehearse, yeah. and we've been working on it for weeks. You know, with clicks separate, separate. Yeah. And then we find each other this afternoon, and then it's very important tomorrow to go up there and be sober. Yeah. That, that's basically the trick. And is there an outfit planned? I mean, are you, are you do you still stick to that sort of <laughs> theme or? Yeah. Well, you know, um, twenty years ago, I was a hot chick. Yeah. So, because my strong stockies don't look good when they hang out from a pair of rugby trousers, uh, shorts, rugby shorts, yeah, rugby yeah. trousers. That would be something to see. Yeah. But um, but they look fabulous when they hang out from under a mini skirt. Yeah. So I was also capitalizing on that. But from being a hot chick 22 years ago, I'm a tunny now, <laughs> <laughs> and that's just not so lacquer. Yeah. yeah. However, Selection at my ladies. Yeah. But given the um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's not do free advertising, although that might not be good for the company. Yeah. <laughs> um, so where we're at now is, um, given the times we live in, I actually very seriously contemplated going out tomorrow in high heels and 
a short skirt and shaving my legs and doing the whole thing and then obviously just keeping the, the mustache. Yeah. Because it sort of fits with many of the narratives that are very um, uh, upfront in society, in Western society yeah, well, at the moment. Well, that's what I think is so interesting is that you were doing this decades ago, mm. um, <laughs> which was so progressive at the time. And also like now that's just as relevant. And perhaps even more relevant, where it's, it's like the now this issue is in America at the this moment. is the conversation. It is. No, it's a big thing. We, but it's we, coming here as well. If you look at what they're doing with schools now, on the, and some of the suggestions, not to get all serious on the show, but um, there is a, a bill that has been presented to Parliament to vote on, and and that stuff is coming here. So people have to be ready for it and figure out ways to deal with it. But the the what made me decide against it tomorrow, because I thought it would be an interesting piece of social commentary, also in terms of where I'm positioned by by the stance I've taken on many issues in the recent 10 years, you know, in the past 10 years, I, w- I thought it would have been an interesting statement. But the thing that stood between me and doing that was the weather. I looked at the weather and I was like, nah. <laughs> go opposite it. <laughs> like it's hotter than go, we're like a tuxedo. A girl, eh? Like huh? full, full on formal tuxedo. Like so the okay, so so have you figured something out, or is that yes, still? Yes, yes, yes. I know what I'll wear tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll. It's also sometimes lacquer to, because you know what's the weird thing is, I play better than I did twenty years ago. Yeah, there was a wonderful. The, the, I mean, there's a lot of joy and surprise and magic in abandon, playing with reckless abandon. Mm. But there's something about being, you know, measured and um, I think it's just the different seasons, I think, um, in life. And I think the saddest thing is if you're if you're 50 and you're trying to, when you're in your 50s and you're trying to be the person you were in your 20s. And it's a dilemma for musicians because, sure. you know, you write songs and the lyrical content of what you pre- were preoccupied with in your 20s. Now mm. you come to your 50s, it's just not like a vibe anymore, you yeah. know. I have no children, I have no wife. I have myself a decent life. Yeah, and dun, 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 dun. it's just not, well, it's not true. It's not true anyway. Now, for starters, and, um, and I, think, I think it's important for artists to grow. And I always think of Sting uh, when I think of that, you know, with the police used to fill out stadiums and stuff, you know, and then those stadiums become arenas and they become smaller and intimate. And, and some of his fans grew older with him and stuck with him, but his sales and his profile indicate a decline. And people still want to, you know, hear the old stuff, you know, with police or maybe his first few solo projects. And it's reality that you have to face as a musician. Um, and I think fighting it, it's like aging. Yeah. You, you, you should never fight aging. Yeah, and there's a point where you just got to lean in and, and, and yeah, because and own tw- tw- it, yeah. 72 with um, collagen lips and plastic tits, it's just not a vibe. Mm. It's just it's not right. It doesn't look lacquer, you know. And yeah. you think you're fabulous, but it's. I think you can be. You can better invest your resources of time and maybe personality and commitment to growing old gracefully. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, that's very. It's interesting, man. Um, yeah. Sure. Okay, well, that got serious really quick. Got serious <laughs> real quick. But yeah, I, I, I think that's yeah, I think that's real interesting. So, so is there any any film or any kind of content that you've that you've recently watched that that? Yes, I have. That because, you enjoyed. Um, like I told you, I've I, I quit TV, but I'm still using it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> 
And uh, so I have a TV uh, in the house with a DVD machine. And because I have two daughters now, I am um, you now for my sins. And um, so obviously I play DVDs. So um, I've seen, uh, recently I've seen a few Barbie movies, which I never thought I'd do in my life. And that's the thing. Yeah. But there are things that I grew up with, like Pinocchio, Heidi, Niels Holgersson, Maya the Bee. Yeah. And and I'm running through that again. Yeah. So and, so here's my question. In our video store, yeah. what would be like a sort of an all-time favorite? Okay, now, you're the, that, you're that, the expert. So that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to rely on your expertise. I'm going to tell you what my needs are. But I, I'm actually curious. I'm curious to know that if you had to rent a film that, that was the kind of film... Um, let's perhaps go... Um, I can tell you what the best movie of all time is. There we go. It's, there's, there's no question about it. It's um, The Tree of Life. Ah. I don't think a better movie has ever been made. I haven't seen a better movie, and I think the best TV series um, that was ever made is um, Game of Thrones. Okay. It's an extremely moralistic tale, which is quite a surprise. Even, a, even the last season? <laughs> I think that was the best. Okay. I think I think in terms of filmmaking, they sort of lost a bit of a hold of it. It was a bit like the fifth season, where it just doesn't. Was the sixth, the fifth season? Where they stopped having the source material, they kind of maybe that was it. The magic that was uh, carried those, those into it. First four seasons of Game of Thrones, <sighs> but Perfection. I think the, I think that last season, and I think the the the, the culmination of everything, the, the final drama, is absolutely perfect because that's. That's how it is, you know, because everyone had a flaw. The only person without a flaw was the one who eventually became king. So it's very moralistic in that sense. Might so be that's too actually moralistic. quite true. Yeah. Hmm. Now, everyone, like everyone went into that race for the king, kingship or the rulership um, compromised somewhere along. Mm. Interesting. But interesting that you say Tree of Life, hands down, is the best film. Have you seen it's Tree of Life? Terrence Malick. Terrence Malick, yeah. Something bit, it's been on my list to watch. Oh, oh my goodness, guys. I, I, was, I was one right, of you, the... It's f- like, it just gets better around the fifth time you watch it. It, it mm. just keeps getting better. It's really... I, um, I, I was one of the first people to see it. I was in Cannes in 2011. Oh, wow. And we watched Tree of Life. How did... I, I loved it. How did, is it, eh? And how so did the amazing. audience react? Oh, no, it was great. Was it one of those standing evasion moments or not really? Um, I don't remember a standing evasion. Terence Malick wasn't there. Okay. He, he's he's a little bit like you. He he's 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 completely he's done out of the four movies eye. in forty years. He, okay. He's he, he's <laughs> far away from people from from the people. He, nobody. There's not a photo of him that's really even been taken wow. in a long time. Hmm. And he came out of does he even, even exist? Reti- he had a long retirement from movies and then came back with Tree of Life. So it's interesting that a film like that. Oh, has, no, has appealed lovely. to you. It's and the best animation series ever is Heidi. The one that was <laughs> made by Japanese, that was commissioned by, I think, yeah, it's Austrians. Like, it's and like made an by anime Japanese. thing. Yeah. Yes, dubbed into Afrikaans. Yeah, yeah, that one. The, the dubbing is supreme. It's absolutely incredible. But also now watching it again, you know, with my daughter, because I want to watch everything with her just to see if it needs guidance and if uh, and I don't want things mm. to escape me. I'm not a super controlling parent, but I'm a 24-hour parent, so I'm there for the journey. And um, yes, it's, uh, it vibrates very so, highly. Interesting it watching vibrates stuff. vibrates very highly. What do you mean by, what is that term? You know, the, the purity of, of things you know, some a, a pure beer okay. or p- 
pure gin or a pure whiskey or a pure um, baker's artisan stuff. Yeah. Purity is is the culmination of skill, but also intent and the spirit that drives it. Yeah. And all those things come together to give us a certain impression and and usually those things stand the test of time. Yeah. And that's what I mean by that higher vibration. It's, it's very pure. That old Heidi. It's really amazing actually. I was like So sort of when you when you're watching it with them, you you can feel its vibration. I, I mean, yeah. obviously, very figuratively speaking. But I mean, it obviously affected you when you were a kid. That yeah, I didn't get to see it because we didn't have TV. Um, I mean, TV only came into the country when I was five, six years old. I suppose they are also. And, um, yeah, and then so we so. only got one when I was in high school. So I pretty much grew up without TV. I grew yeah. up listening to records. But there was a lady in the block of flats where we lived in number 18. And I used to run to you know my, sometimes my mom would allow me and then I could run there to watch like an episode of Heidi so it was like or Pinocchio you know it was the time for that stuff lovely okay how, so how old are the tortoises now? Um, the one is three and a half and the other one is half a half no. <laughs> just a half no <laughs> Okay, yeah. my, my girlfriend's kid seven, and there's like a new. I, I'm obsessed with Star Wars. Like I love Star Wars, everything, and there's okay. like now Star Wars. Do you like kids. them all? Hmm? Do you like them all? I mean, I, I feel differently about a lot of them. I have opinions. <laughs> Are the first three episodes not so lacquer now? I quite love them. The the prequels because okay. I've gone back and I've watched Clone Wars, which fills in all those gaps. But the the, the new three, I don't really like. But uh, there's now Jedi Adventures, which is Star Wars for like six-year-olds. And it's all these little kids learning how to be Jedis. And it's like, <laughs> it's like just stupid TV. Like then nothing's actually happening. But yeah. it's, but they were like waving lightsabers. It's adorable. It's lucky to see kids enjoy themselves. That's pretty pure as well. Absolutely. Really oh. Oh. It's lovely that, you, that you've given yourself this opportunity to be this kind of retired person that can raise kids. Yeah, I just turned it around. I had my life almost like Benjamin Button, completely. I was yeah. faced with really adult challenges as a as a child, um, and and now I'm moving back into the magic and the cushiness of infanthood, I suppose, in a way. That's lovely. Listen, I I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I've I've really appreciated this chat, and it was it's always so nice, yeah, hearing you explain something in a different way. We're kind of using a different term. And I think you've had this fascinating life. I love the Benjamin Buttonness of it. I think that's great. So I think let's 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 rent you Heidi again. And then yes. Tree of Life. And then maybe Benjamin Button for Mid Midsummer for, for good we recommend. And, and and Midsummer, yeah, which is gonna be a weird one. That's obviously certainly not with the kids. Yeah, don't watch with the kids. <laughs> Mid Midsummer is the one, okay. Yeah, that's I the one that's, that, that that we should really have you Could watch. Could you also recommend me something? I used to be a huge Rocky Rambo and um and Schwarzenegger fan and and so and all these movies, you know, yeah. in the eighties yeah. as a teenager. And now I'm not a fan of of uh, of that anymore, but I know how that resonated me. What is going to work for me today in in that line? Like but something Rambo. temporary, sort of ish. Sure. Well, I mean, you know that in their retirement or in their golden age, all those guys started those movies, those expendable movies. Have you seen those? No. Um, <laughs> That's <a> great. <laughs> it's like if all those action stars of the eighties were now like golden girls, 
they it's um they they're they're all like these old bullies that well if sylvester's blanche i'm all for it <laughs> yeah um there's a new expendables coming out expendables 4 oh my God, but yeah it's fun. this big action movie movies there's three of them already like and they just keep adding hundreds to a million dollar are, budget that movies. are getting older and as they sort of get older they now join the expendables i think it's this kind of ragtag group of mercenaries that go out and, and it's like mission impossible for an old, the old age home but know. is it like sting making a record now or is it like i think no. they own their 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 oldness I don't think they pretend that they... It's 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 more tongue-in-cheek. It's it's not serious. So perhaps the Expendable movies (laughs) could be something. If you want that kind of action. I'll take Midsommar just to be sure that there's going to be... I give myself two options. Yeah. Thank you for the recommendation. Yeah, Midsommar's... Yeah, lacquer creepy. (laughs) (laughs) It's really... It's a weird film. So, but yeah, I think you'll see a little bit of your um, Dr. von Staden in there. Which is your character in... Horizon. I haven't seen the movie. Really? No, okay. I haven't seen that. Okay, that's interesting. So you, you did it, you wrapped it, and, and that's that's done for you. You don't need to... You don't, no, you don't no need I've to never been good. Product. I did a lot of acting in the in the early 90s. I've never been good at watching myself. Yeah. Uh, it, it's pretty good. It's like thrilling, and I was I was engrossed. I, I so. appreciated that these movies are made. You know, it's, it's cool to do a psychological thriller. It's cool to play with that. And... Um, no, Decent soundtrack, that. actually, for like for a local movie. I mean, I mean, not that um, there's anything wrong no, with local good. movies, but yeah, it's, it's it works. It was tense, and I think it's an amazing achievement because obviously, from behind the screens, the, the, the camera, I know what challenges they face, given the size of the South African industry, and to to make that. But it was it's a small film. It just really takes place in this community. Yep. Or at the psychological facility that sort of is more in town, mm. but I, I applaud the filmmakers that that know their restrictions. They they work within their limits, especially in South Africa. So they know that it's got to be the small movie. Got to tell you, I really loved working with Andre Feltz. I'm not sucking up to him. I don't care if he hears this or not. Yeah. Um, but as a, as an actor, it's really nice to work with a director that gives you that freedom. Mm who works with you instead of you being a pawn, which he wants to move around on his chessboard. Because yeah, you, you are terrifying in this movie. It's a complete lie because I'm, I'm the most innocuous person I know. Well, I've met you and I'm like, this is, this, this is acting. <laughs> this is good acting. <laughs> this is what acting is. Maybe I'm acting now. <laughs> well, you're doing no, a great I really, job. I really believed it. And like, I wanted terrible things to happen to this person. which <laughs> is great. Cool. Listen, on that note... I think let's let's uh, get you to your rehearsal. Yes, what time is it? Um, it is time for you to leave. <laughs> is <laughs> that, is that what I think it is? Okay, Jan, yeah. that is late. Of I have to go. Um, thank you so much. I no, could have thanks, spoken man. for five hours. We no, have a lot. That's lovely. Well, thank and you. Think, thank you for being here. Yeah. I, I appreciate you, and and yeah, I hope the show tomorrow goes well. Thank you. All right, what a lecker chat. What an interesting dude. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what an interesting dude. I, I, found, I found him so interesting. He, he, he had the most incredible memory. It's phenomenal. He and could remember things to the day, to the year. I can't do that. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's something special. <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's, it's especially weird because I'd watched the movie the night before and he plays this like psychotic 
crazy person. And he's yeah. just like the nicest person who just has a memory of an elephant. Very, very gentle, calm demeanor for someone that was in a crazy punk rock band. Yeah, that's no, one uh, of my favorite conversations. That was quite special. The, the other thing which I realize now we didn't even touch on is a huge part of Chris Chameleon and what makes him so special is the other instrument, which we didn't even talk about. We spoke a bit about his bass, but it's his voice. Yeah, his voice is ridiculous. We, we didn't even speak about that. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I love to know how he discovered he had the range of like an opera singer. He's got the most incredible range and he would use it most of the time to, to make interesting sort of noises and like sing in a particular way. Like he, he would play his, his voice like a, like a instrument, yeah, like a goggling and coggling uh, oh, and oh. you didn't even get into that. Okay. But that's for those who don't know, that's what makes, <laughs> makes him so special <laughs> is the fact that he does those things. Um, yeah, I, that was a treat. And so thank you for sticking around. What we are going to do now, because the store has now gotten a bit quiet um, it's a chance for myself and Gaddy to digest a bit more about the last few weeks. I think it's, yeah, I think it's interesting that we had uh, Deborah Darling on the, the show last week and she has found this incredible purpose and message and career at 50 and her third act is this super busy beyond her wildest dreams kind of adventure and then we've got chris who in his 50s has decided to like go off the radar and kind of retire yeah he just had a crazy laugh yeah and i think i love the i love the benjamin button sort of analogy he gave himself because that's so true like he just he's living off the land and and sort of bowed out of the race i think you and i um can also feel that with the band that it almost sometimes feels like you're in a race, even though you're not. Yeah. It, it, it sometimes feels competitive and you've got to get that slot or you've got to be at the top of the bull and not that you have to, but it's just like there's, there's the feeling of like, are you still relevant? Are you still, you know, what people are talking about? Are you still a band that people give a shit about? Yeah. I so, mean, the only real competition are the charts, but like, like movies, musicians i think the good ones at least realize to get ahead they all need to work together and then you kind of get there together no of course of course i just but i just find it interesting that he that he was uh, he didn't need to feed his ego anymore yeah he he was happy to just live off the land and bow out entirely i think that was interesting it's honorable I, i appreciate that but anyways um so just to talk more about our, our, our last few weeks, um, one thing to touch on very quickly is um, both myself and Gad did the, the Oppenheimer Barbie um, <laughs> premieres. Um, so we did both on the same day and we've been thinking about that. The other thing that you and I did, which was quite special, is that we, we played these amazing shows. Yeah, we did arenas for the first time. Yeah, as Short Straw, um, which is the other hat I wear, um, Gaddy who's who's with us at the video store today. He's also a member of the band, Short Straw. And we had the opportunity to open for George Ezra. And so quite a lot of our attention and and energy went to these shows where we were um, going to open for him in arenas for the first time. We've never played arenas. Yeah. I mean, we've done big shows, outdoor shows. But yeah, this is special. 
yeah, it was it was cool, and I just I think it was all happening around the time that we were releasing the episodes about um, Deborah Darling living in the moment, talking about how you must just enjoy every second of your life. It's never too late to do things, um, and and there we were also just living in the moment. It's never too late to play arenas, <laughs> you know. As I said, we've done these, we've done these clubs and fields and rooftops and streets, but we've never done arenas. So that was cool. It's just, it's just great that I think you and I can take this moment and go, how cool is our life? We, <laughs> we've played these arenas. We're watching these. Um, we're going to the premieres of these movies. Life's good, right? That's pretty good, Russ. It sure is, Gaddy. <laughs> okay, um, so let's let's chat a little bit about it. Should we maybe just talk about Barbie first? Sure. So what I thought was interesting, and maybe I could start off this little chat, is that um, it's important to mention that why Barbie got the attention that it got before anyone had ever seen it was because of who was behind it. Okay. Yeah. So the moment people knew Greta Gerwig was going to be the director, they knew that it wasn't going to be a typical Barbie movie, right? Yeah. And and so that... Well, Greta Gerwig, who did Lady Bird and Little Woman, are her two big ones. I mean, they are full-on art-house movies, like indie movies. Yeah. And so despite its huge budget... This this film was almost made like an art house movie, <laughs> in yeah. a way that it was smart and it was filled with interesting discussions. A hundred percent. I was discussing with you earlier. I think this is going to be the first art house movie a lot of people see, and it's not. When I say art house, it's not straight up. This is kind of marketed to be like a mainstream movie, but in every part of the sensibility, just the dialogue and the storyline and the way the characters treat each other and the handling of the subject matter it's very intellectual yeah so that with the moment you said that i was like do you think this is an art house movie <laughs> so that was so interesting and i think that's what's funny and that's what's amazing about art is that art can be anything yeah. you know and so the term art house movie is is very vague and difficult but what i thought was cool is that the movie is about the imagination and it's about using barbie Barbie can be anything and you can play with Barbie. You can imagine a world with your Barbies and you can craft your own world. And what was cool is that Greta Gerwig, who is an established, as you said, very credible filmmaker, took the Barbie kind of figuratively and played with it. So she had her own like little Barbie sandbox that she could play in. All those sets were built, which I thought was interesting, that both, both films didn't use CGI. Amazing, yeah. That was the that was another interesting facet of these two movies was was they, that both famously didn't use CGI. I read a fact that there was a worldwide shortage of pink paint. Yes, because they used it all for the movie. Yes, the I've heard that, it's, and it shows. It shows. It's insane. And didn't you think it was cool that with Barbie specifically, because they were building these sets, um, and they even did a little dance number, um, you you got the sense that it felt like an old 1920s Hollywood picture. Like yeah. a real like, picture where well, they built all the sets. It felt like a Beach Boys uh, music video. <laughs> like something like, like, like six, 60s, like a 60s, 50s, 60s. Yeah, like a teen, a teen romance summer movie. 
but but specifically like a studio movie where, yeah. they, were, where they would build these sets. Yeah, no, 100%. And so there was an artificiality to it back then when they were making these movies. But of course now they were playing up to it. And, the fact and, that, and that fake sunset, that skyline, oh, it was beautiful. Oh. Yeah, and there's no water. You don't see any actual liquid in Barbie land. Oh, when so he they, runs to the beach. Oh, it's so, so the water is just this hard plastic. The, yes. the, the, she When she showers, nothing comes out. Mm. Um, it was great. I loved that. Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. And I think people maybe thought that it was going to be a bit too, well, people expected it to be very subversive and were perhaps a little disappointed that it wasn't as subversive as people thought it was going to be. Because, but I thought it was interesting to just remind people who's paid for this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and so this was a movie endorsed by Mattel and a little bit like the Lego movie, you know, there's going to be some agenda that the corporations are going to want to um, get across. And what that agenda was, I realized upon sitting in, was that this movie is specifically made, and this is for someone who doesn't necessarily know what they're getting themselves into and perhaps needs a little bit of context, this movie is made for everyone who has since put their Barbie away. 100%, yeah. Yeah, so that was an interesting thing. Going into the premiere um, in my family circle so my girlfriend's sister <laughs> has got this four-year-old and the question was is this going to be a movie for her will she like it let us know they say as we are going towards the premiere and I was like I'm curious I think it's going to try and hit as many people as possible but you can't imagine it's for kids then when we sat down in the in the premiere next to me was Leon Fanira the famous um, South African film critic who I've known since Varsity and he said, no, it's got, a, it's got an age limit. PG-13. Eh? Mm, PG-13. And then you go ahead and watch the movie <laughs> where it's all about the patriarchy and dismantling it and subverting that and fighting it back and, and all these great jokes. Um, and then you realize like, okay, no, it's not for little girls. The little girls have their Barbie movies. You yeah. know, they, they, the Barbie's got them. They've got that market done. It's sorted. They've got plenty of Barbie movies. And Barbie is alive and well in their imagination. This movie is specifically designed. You can almost imagine the pitch to Mattel or Mattel brainstorming. This, you know, this is the brand behind Barbie to go, let's make a movie that actually protects the legacy of Barbie amongst everyone who's old enough to question it. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and I thought that was interesting that they were hitting that market specifically from 13 upwards where that's the age where you're too cool for Barbie and perhaps you start questioning Barbie. So it's their chance to make an argument. And it was quite bold bold of them. And, and, and it's amazing that like the movie critiques Barbie quite heavily. And I, I find it incredible that Mattel let that happen and let, let them be the brunt of the joke in order to make a point at the end. Yeah, you can imagine that conversation between a smart person like Greta Gerwig and them going, you already have this on your name. You already have this questioning, you know, questions like, is Barbie, the shape of Barbie, is that having girls believe, you know, that's the ideal shape or, you know, the questioning body standards, all these criticisms. And they were like, let's, the only way, you're already there. You're already in the trenches these conversations are already happening. Let's lean in. Let's own it and find our way out, which yeah. I thought was kind of interesting. It's very clever. 
You know, funnily enough, Jess, my girlfriend who I watched with at the premiere, says she wants to show to a seven-year-old son. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was maybe wrong to say it was made specifically for women. It was nice that it wasn't. Um, but just in terms of the message that the movie kind of gives, Ken plays this very particular standard of men and the way men are treated. It's like an inversion of how we used to seeing it in movies and in real life. And it's just very clever how they handle that. I mean, I don't want to spoil too much. Yeah, and, and one of the nicest things which you get out of it is is how difficult it is to be a woman. Like yeah. that, that was that was one of the main sort of second act turning points. And and everybody needs to see that. Obviously women need to have that conversation amongst themselves. Men need to men need to hear all of that so that they can identify and relate and help. Uh, I thought that was lovely. Yeah. No, Bobby was it was great. My favorite line so far was um, when Gosling says, or Ken says, um, the, the moment I realized the patriarchy wasn't just about horses, I lost, I lost interest. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I thought was uh, a nice little fun fact, which I'd like to share, is Barbie does have a full name. Did you know this? Oh, I didn't. So you, you get a sense from it in the, in the movie and of course, this is a Google away, so it's not like it was a huge reveal. But Barbie, the creator of Barbie, um, named Barbie after her, her daughter, daughter, which her daughter, was Barbara. Yes. So we know that her full name is Barbara, but she actually has a full, full name, which is Barbara Millicent Roberts. Hmm, okay. Which is kind of interesting. And uh, Ken also has a full name. His full name is Kenneth Sean Carson. Carson. And that was named and named after her daughter, her son. Who's, who was Kenneth? So there is, and this is not too far away, there is a Barbara and a Kenneth, probably still alive, wandering around today, <laughs> who are seeing this movie and just seeing their legacy live on with Margot Robbie and, and um, Ryan Gosling. That's great. And oh, they both got paid exactly the same Margot ah, Robbie and Ryan Gosling. That's cool. I mean, like 12.5 million each. <laughs> Shame. A cool, a cool 12.5. I was, I was, the movie had a $150 million budget. It's a big budget. Eh? It's huge. <laughs> it's a big budget. But I think they've already made it back. This was a record, the sixth biggest box office weekend in history. Okay. I think they, they pulled in $300 million total. And I think that's not even including, because we're a bit ahead of America, so it might even be a bit more. But last I checked, yeah. I think um, Oppenheimer was on about 70 or $80 million. Bobby was on about 120, 130 million for the weekend. That's lovely. No, yeah. it is. Mission Impossible still. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot. To, there's a lot to see, and I just think what's so cool is that cinema one. <laughs> cinema one, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was just a celebration of cinema. It was a celebration of watching these movies. Not, you know, Oppenheimer was more about watching it in its technical, like best gold standard way like experiencing it on, on the big screen because it was one of those movies made for that. And the Barbie movie was perhaps less about that and more about watching it with other people. I think that crowd, was, that audience we saw with was amazing. Those yeah, people that everyone were dressed was in pink. And, and, yeah. We had like pink Krispy Kreme donuts put on our seat before we arrived. It was cool. And there was the right amount of bubbly going around before. Yeah, pink pink champagne was being served. Was, was it lovely. pink? Yeah. I'm, I'm colorblind. I know you are. Mm. Um, just to go back uh, now to the first part of that day, which was us watching Oppenheimer. 
how, how are you post that? So, yeah, it was like, I think I would have benefited from a later screening. I'm not you, a morning you're person. You're not a morning person, yeah. I thought the first two hours of that movie was a masterpiece. And then I thought the last hour kind of just lost it for me. Okay. What, post post the Trinity test? Post the Trinity test. And then I, it, it was like very procedural in the court case. And it became a very different movie for me. Okay. I, I like that. I, I found what was very interesting about Oppenheimer was was what the story was. So just a quick back of the box. We know it's about um, J. Robert Oppenheimer, who was the physicist who was brought on to lead the Manhattan Project, which was to build the atomic bomb before the before Germans. the Germans. So, so at that time in history, there were enough physicists playing with the idea of how one could create a massive bomb. And the fear was that um, at least the first half of World War II, which was still very much about the Nazis, the fear was that in the hands of Hitler, something like this could... He, he was crazy enough to set it off. Yeah. Um, funny enough, he was a little dismissive of it, but the fear was he's such a madman that, that if they did have that power... He it wouldn't was, have taken much for him to... It wouldn't to, have taken much for yeah. him to, to, to use it. Then what was interesting in that time was that the Nazis then did give up but the second half of the of of World War Two, which a lot of people don't think of, is the Pacific War, which was then between the Americans and the Japanese, and how that lasted for a lot longer than it should have, because the Japanese were so resilient on giving up. It just would not, and they would not concede. Yeah, and 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 um, not to trivialize it now, but myself and Gad, we've been to Japan a lot. We know how serious those guys are. Yeah. We know how, um, if they're going to... Honorable. We, we also know how, like, if those folks are going to drink, they, 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 they drink. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're intense. Everything they do is very intense. We, we, you can feel it to this day. So you can imagine that in some kind of full-on war, you know, these guys weren't giving up. And, and there was a very big moral debate, which was whether or not it was necessary to drop that bomb. Um, but the argument was that even though the, the emperor at the time was warned, they still didn't give up. And so they dropped the bomb. Then they were warned again. A lot of people don't necessarily talk about this. And the emperor still didn't give up. And so that's when they dropped the second one. So it was an interesting debate, but the movie itself, Oppenheimer, and the story of Oppenheimer was very much about um, once the theory became a reality, he realized he was responsible, or he felt responsible and for, for these deaths. And so the latter half of his career was spent with him trying to find a way for the world to... Um, police the use of and, and control the use of these weapons um, and there were some interesting things that happened I don't want to give too much away but a lot of it was um, this kind of nitpicking with politicians and there was one politician in particular that wanted to see him discredited and so his his security clearance was taken away and he 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 left the sort of limelight but he was later brought back and um given his accolades as a as a person um but it was an inter- but a lot of his, a lot of the story of Oppenheimer was about that which was this third act that you perhaps found a bit bureaucratic and a bit um boring yeah i mean i think i need to rewatch it again it just kind of it was just such a 
like a left turn in terms yeah. of filmmaking. It just, I mean, obviously there's going to be the bomb in this movie and it's going to be difficult to come back from that. Yeah, um, that was certainly the like a climax of the movie. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I just loved how, how, how close up it was. It was very close. It was very talky. It was a very it was talky very movie. talky. It's like a Sorkin script. But but whenever you you saw him, often the camera was was right in his face. So especially on IMAX, it felt felt like you were you were in his head. Yeah. And then they tried to explain. They tried to give you ways to to experience what it was like to be inside his head. In the beginning, what was inside his head was just. The, the, some of these theories of what these atoms can do, and he was imagining, imagining things in his head. You know, like you yeah. and I, you and I don't, don't have that kind of brain activity. Um, and then, of course, it was the moral anguish in his head. Um, I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, I think I, I'd, I'd, I'm definitely going to watch it again, and I think I'll appreciate that latter half more. Yeah, it's just, but that that the first couple of hours just phenomenal phenomenal filmmaking yeah yeah and i think it's you know as i said it's three hours so that that's what i mean by very carefully created stake in my analogy and 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 it's you know that 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 kind of stake is expensive there's a barrier to entry for for you and i to go sit down at marble and have this you know this this expertly put together stake the barrier to entry here is the fact that it's three hours you know, which is bullshit, really, because you and I sit and watch movies for three hours or TV shows for three hours very easily. But or, or TV shows that are basically an eight-hour movie. Yeah, but 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 that that's what I think will will be a little bit of a barrier entry to most people. It's a bit more serious. It's a bit more historical. It's not it's not an easy it's not, it's not an easy thing to put in your mouth. So it's based on a book, and apparently the guy who wrote it said it is the most like true to life. Based on like reality. Yeah, that book was called um, American Prometheus. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, we. I was searching around other things about YouTube, and I discovered that one video, which was like a twelve-minute video about him, that was made about eight months ago. So this was potassium, potassium, or something. um, This was just a little made-for-internet documentary, made-for-YouTube documentary, and they did beat for beat his life. Yeah. And it was so funny watching it after the movie, when I was like, "This is the movie," the movie followed the exact same um, key points. So the world knew it, but not everybody. And I think this is what's cool, is that Nolan's film is now going to tell the story of of Oppenheimer. I think he's an interesting guy to be, yeah, exposed to the world. The cost, the little surprises, it's it's great. Like, oh, that guy's in it. Yeah. No, and and you just, just just to use this vehicle as a way to yeah, to tell the story of this guy and, and, and the complexity of it because, you know, there's, you, can, you can argue this till the cows come home, which was like someone was going to invent it. Someone was going to create that bomb. Who, who should have created Who Should they have dropped it? Should, you know? Yeah. It's, it's interesting because really at the time… Did they, we have the best case scenario? That's what the movie asks. Yeah, and it, even the movie even reveals the fact that at the time… They knew that hydrogen bomb would be even bigger, but they knew they had to solve the atom bomb first. So he knew what was coming. He knew the extent of what that bomb was going to create. 
So he knew that he needed to do whatever he could to lobby against how the world is going to handle these bombs, which is very unpopular yeah. <laughs> amongst those that have or don't have. But yeah, it is, it is a very interesting film. So I love maps and there's all these maps going around of like a map of America, map of Europe, like what's trending, Oppenheimer or Barbie. Okay. And there's one in America where it's like mostly Barbie, and then like you see the state of New Mexico is Oppenheimer. Because uh, <laughs> the, the movie was largely set there. Um, that's where they 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 created this town in the middle of in the middle of New Mexico. That was my favorite part of the movie. That whole town and the how they just made it appealing to the sciences. Los Alamos. So they knew that they had to set up. Um, they knew they were going to be there for for months, years to to develop this. They needed to be able to set the bombs off somewhere, and he wanted to return back to his roots, which was to be in in New Mexico. So the town was created, and they knew that they needed to create the town uh, in order to get the physicists there. But, the, the bombs went off a clockwork, like three times a day. It was morning, lunchtime, <laughs> home time. But speaking <laughs> of maps, uh, just to pop over back to Barbie, oh, there there's was that, that big controversy with Vietnam. Yeah. So there was. It was in the movie, in the trailer, for a split second. There was a weird map where Barbie's trying to figure out how to go somewhere, and there's like five dashes coming from Vietnam, and it's got some very important political significance about certain land possession. Yes. That's up for debate. Yeah. That Vietnam are not happy about, so they've banned the movie. Yeah. I find it amazing. This this is phenomenal to me that in 2023, the world is confused by this. Um, not I don't know too much about Vietnam, but a good example is Taiwan, where you China know, the, claim well, China is claiming that Taiwan is theirs. Taiwan is saying no, it's not. But 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 it's <laughs> <laughs> like you would think that today, like it's clear, like you can make these maps, but but it's not clear. I mean, look at I mean, Russia and Ukraine. Russia's saying Ukraine's theirs. And yeah, it's like, well, it's like, on the map. <laughs> it says Ukraine. You can't have it. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. Um, it's wild. that uh, Like, it's not this clear-cut thing. Uh, you would think that in 2023, like... Well, that's what Hitler was thinking. It's just like, it's all mine. I want it. I'm going to take it. <laughs> People look crazy. I don't know. It's amazing. Uh, um, and then, um, obviously, it's not screening in Japan, in, in Hiroshima. Yeah, and well, understandably. Understandably. So yeah, you, you and I are, are lucky enough to have been there. Yeah, on our first time we went to Japan. On the first time the, that Short Straw toured Japan, one of the dates was us going to Hiroshima. 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 We were actually there, weren't you there for two days? Or was it just one day? It might have been two days, but we went back on a later tour. I don't think we went back to Hiroshima. Maybe I, maybe I, you I did. Went, I went back personally, so yeah. I don't know whether that... I didn't go back again. I just went the one time. And yeah, we went to... The literal place where that bomb drops. Yeah. So, so just a little context on that. We we'd done a a week of tours in um, of shows in Australia. We were quite overwhelmed, quite tired, and now we're on to our second week in Japan. And uh, I don't know whether it was that or whether it was just sheer, I don't know, just just being taken off guard. But as we walked towards um, the center of it. Um, I started crying. <laughs> I hadn't read anything. I hadn't seen a plaque. I hadn't seen anything. And basically, they've they've left this one building, um, which is in ruins, and they've preserved it in ruins um, as a reminder, as a memorial 
for you to go and, and see. But as we approached that, I um I started crying. Did you cry? I mean, I don't think I did. I wasn't. I just started crying. I thought I don't I don't know. I thought maybe I was just tired, but it, it's it's quite something. And then then they've got this like infinity pool. They've got like a, a a burning candle that doesn't go out. And the message I got, I'd be curious to know what you think, but the message I got was a call for peace and this overwhelming position of let's not ever have this happen again. Not fuck the Americans. There was no vengeance. There was no fighting. There was no ill will. It was it was a quest for like, let's never have this happen yeah, again. I definitely felt that. Which I think is interesting. And the Japanese also do love American culture and take on American culture. It's interesting how they, they, they're not opposed to that, which is interesting. Where in other parts of the world, certain people will not buy a German car or Germans won't buy this car or that car. Or, you know, oh, how I like, know a lot of Jewish people who will not buy a German car. Sure, that's what I mean. Yeah. So there, there are those like things where that'll just carry on. Where, where it didn't necessarily feel that the the Japanese were were hated Americans. I mean, listen, you and I got a very small sense of their culture, but we were there for five tours, and 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 that was never felt. But look, I mean, there is a sense of humility. I mean, looking at the context of the war, Japan was the enemy against the rest of the world, and they had to obviously concede, and go through a lot as a nation like there but, were there were yeah. reparations they had to pay and obviously the rebuilding of the towns is like very humbling it doesn't get more humbling than that but it was interesting that there was a call for peace there was a call for control there was a call for that sort of similar to what the latter half of Oppenheimer's career was which was like feeling and knowing firsthand what the damage is of these these weapons and how they need to be controlled which was interesting um, because even to today, like you hear these stories of how like Putin is threatening using things now in the <laughs> war, and you're like, oh my god, we could, we we we're at the the threat any moment. There's a bunch of dudes with fingers on buttons. Yeah, <laughs> scary, could, this, scary stuff. This could go at any point. Um, it's interesting, yeah. but it was cool to experience both, and it was it was cool to be a part of this moment in in cinema history. Hey, Gaddy. Yeah. No, this was a, it's been a special few weeks. Um, all right. So one thing. Yeah. Futurama, first time okay. in 10 years. Let's talk about other things for okay. a moment. Okay, Futurama's coming back. Yeah, so the first episode is on Disney Plus as we speak. I didn't, uh, yeah, I didn't expect it to be on so early in South Africa, but it is. Okay. And yeah, after 10 years, it's finally come back. It was cancelled three or four times. There's been five finales. <laughs> Okay. And you love it. Why do you love it? It's just, so, I mean, it's the same guy did The Simpsons, but The Simpsons is set in the real world, kind of. Futurama is set, it's just absolutely, it's science fiction, it's fantasy, it's the the guys, the the writing stuff are like all PhDs in maths and physics. Oh, cool. And some of the smartest, cleverest writing. Okay. Um, I'm finding the news the first four seasons the original run were perfect like, okay like those episodes you can't touch later seasons it started to get a bit they were like less consistent okay so there are some crappy ones but some of the best ones in those new seasons are maybe even better than the original so okay so when what, they did it they did it well 
Yeah. Okay. So I don't know what to expect of this new season, but... Same writers, same people. Because I know that there was controversy about bringing it back where the one, the one voice actor... The guy voiced Bender wasn't happy that everyone wasn't getting the same fee. Okay. He was getting paid a lot, but he wanted everyone else to get the same. Oh, uh, interesting. That was the argument. That's cool. Yeah. So okay. he's back. That's all the original cast. I don't know if it's all the original writers, but I'm sure they brought them back. They they know what they're doing. Okay. Yeah. Lekker, man. All right, cool, duty. Um, and that's already on yeah. Disney Plus. Yeah. Okay, magic. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for the thanks for the chat. Oh, thanks, Rusky. Is there anything else that's burning you inside that you want to get across? Nah, just, uh, I'm, I'm still going through my Star Wars. I, I finished Clone Wars, finished Bad Batch, okay. onto Rebels. I'm, s- I'm, I'm watching the fan edit of the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. Oh, shit. So, yeah, I started, I tried to watch the Obi-Wan show and it, I couldn't. It was just really bad pacing. And so someone took all eight episodes and made a two and a half hour fan edit, which halfway through is brilliant. Okay. Like, I'm I'm shocked. I was like, it should oh. have been a movie. Yeah. Okay. He like reshot some stuff and reordered the storyline, and it's like, wow, this is what this should have been. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. My my question was more to the Oppenheimer, Barbie, Chris Chameleon themes of the show, but I appreciate your input. Yeah, I, just, I just had to get that out. <laughs> okay. But yeah, no, it's it's been a magic, magical magic, few weeks. Magical few weeks. What a time to and be I'm alive. I'm so glad we got to speak to Chris. That was. Yeah. It's such a pleasure. I agree. All right. Um, so thank you for listening. We are the video store. My name is Russell Grant. And today on the show was Gad the Combers. Um, we have a home base, which is the video store.co.za. Uh, if you don't know already, there's a chance for you to find your platform and subscribe. And also links to all our social media places. We'd love you to chime in. We're getting more and more people um, that are strangers that are chiming in, which we like. Yeah. So, so please feel free to post interesting stuff, funny articles, things like that, especially on the Facebook group, which is the video store, and then also chime in on um, the videos we post and the stuff that we post on Instagram. And yeah, we'll hope to uh, see you again next week. We've got some great episodes banked, and those are coming out, which I'm very excited about. Um, Jonathan Rocksmith, who's one of the leading people in South African theater and beyond um, is, is going to pop in to rent something. We've got Francois van Koch from uh, Folk of Policicar. Franny. Old Franny. There's, there's such great stuff. Rob van Furen, um, the, the amazing actor who's done all these great characters like Namaste Bay, Corny uh, and Twaki. That, that's coming out at some point soon. So yeah, there's lots to, there's lots to tune in and enjoy. All right. Uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Cheers, Getty. Cheers, Rusky. Cheers, everyone. Bye.